We're going to go into the book of Isaiah. Surprise, surprise. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll open our Bibles there. Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to worship you today in spirit and in truth, the words of these songs that we've sung, and now, Father, your living word, uh, the scriptures, guide us and direct us, Lord. Thank you that we um, have this revelation of yourself, and may we be attentive to your Holy Spirit to um, direct us into truth, and then, Father, we trust you that you'll transform us because of it. We've lived in a world this week, Father, where it's very easy to be conformed to the world's way of thinking. And Lord, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. May that take place in some form and fashion, Father, throughout this building today with our children, ministries, and our youth, and our adult classes. And now, Father, as we open your word here, we'll trust you to accomplish your purposes. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, good news comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? These graduating high schoolers or graduating college students, what better news can they hear than those words, you are now graduated? That's great, great good news. Did you hear, by the way, about the 400 students from Morehouse College down in Atlanta, um, the billionaire commencement speaker, I guess in the midst of his commencement speech, surprised all 400 graduating seniors and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to pay off all your student loans. Good news for all those 400. Bad news for that one or two students who had one class that they should have taken, and they didn't, but good news. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of you have recently heard good news that the diagnosis that you thought was a bit worrisome has now come back benign, insignificant, it's good news. We've celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day this past week. Can you imagine, 75 years ago today, the good news that those French civilians heard as the Allied forces were sweeping through their communities and they heard the words, you're free. Good news comes in all shapes and sizes. But one thing is certain in this world, no matter how great the good news is in this moment, it seems like bad news is just around the corner. Good news in a sinful world is, is fleeting. Earthly joys are momentary. I think that idea was part of the idea that led C.S. Lewis, the great British scholar and thinker, to come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ was and put his faith in Christ many decades ago. C.S. Lewis understood that there was a longing in his soul that nothing in this world could ever meet, and, and it made him realize there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. This is what he said. If I find, in, in his book, Mere Christianity, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If there are longings in my soul that this world can never satisfy, that led C.S. Lewis on a search 
to conclude the most probable explanation is that I was, I was made for another world. Now he went on to say this, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, but on the other hand, I must never mistake them for the something else which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage for. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, he wrote, which I shall not find till after death. And I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Because things of this life, he said, will never satisfy. I was made for something better. There's a better world coming. There's a better world coming. The Bible assures us that there is indeed a time coming. That better world when, when every experience, everything that we will engage in and partake in, every experience that we will have will be perfectly and fully satisfying. We will live in perpetual good news. The bad news will never be there. It'll be a world that we've been made for where every deep longing of our soul is going to be perfectly satisfied, a world of perpetual good news. This is how John wrote it in the last book of the Bible in John 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, no crying, nor pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, now write for these words are faithful and true. There's, there's a new world coming. Jesus said this in John chapter 14 to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you'll be there also. There you will be also. A place, he said, I'm preparing for you. A place of perpetual good news where every longing of the heart is going to be fully satisfied because he said, I'll be there with you. We were made to be with Jesus, to experience this eternal joy, this perpetual good news, his presence forever to be a part of, of God's forever family, everyone who's put their trust in Christ and Christ alone for eternal salvation will have this wonderful experience, the glories 
of eternity. But I want, to, want you to know something from this book of Revelation. We read chapter 21, a few verses there. There is a chronology to this book of Revelation. There's a sequencing. And if we backed up one chapter to chapter 20, we would see that there's a, a precursor, a, a prerequisite to this chapter 21, this time of no more tears and suffering and death. John wrote this in chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil, Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released a short time. Chapter 21, oh, the glories of, of eternity. But chapter 20, the precursor to that, this prerequisite, this, this thousand years where Satan will, will be um, bound and will not do his, his evil work. But if we backed up one more chapter in chapter 19, in the sequencing of the book of Revelation, we'd find that Jesus returns. Chapter 19 is that chapter where the heavens open and Jesus returns with his angels and all his saints, and he is, it's his second coming back to earth. His first coming 2,000 years ago was a baby in, in, a, in a manger in Bethlehem, but his second coming, Revelation 19, he comes in might and power. That's chapter 19. Then chapter 20, Satan is bound for 1,000 years. And then chapter 21, this, this wonderful eternal state. The, the progress, the sequencing that we see in the book of Revelation. Now, I realize that there are various theological perspectives about that, that passage of a thousand years. Some people believe that that's this thousand years that we just read is actually going on now and has been for the last 2,000 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. It's a, it's a view called amillennialism that says there really is no millennium, no 1,000-year reign of Christ. They interpret this passage, Revelation 20, in, a, in an allegorical uh, um, method, spiritualizing it, more metaphorically looking at it. They teach that we are actually in the millennium now, and that it's been going on for the last 2,000 years. And to come to that conclusion, again, you have to interpret the Scriptures in a non-literal sort of way in a non-literal way, so that you just don't take, when it says a thousand years, well, you have to somehow spiritualize that, and that's what we're, we've been experiencing that now, that we're in this kingdom time now. Others, like myself, and how we teach it here at Fellowship Bible Church, uh, we take uh, these scriptures literally. It's called premillennialism. It's a belief that Jesus Christ is going to return bodily to this earth prior to setting up his, his reign on this earth, and then he will reign for a thousand years when Satan is bound. That's Revelation 20. And we, so we take it in a very literal way, though we still understand there's figures of speech in Scripture. There's still the use of allegories if the Scriptures dictate that. But premillennialism says Christ returns, and then he will set up his kingdom on earth in a literal way. Now, We've been studying through the book of Isaiah for a year and plus now. Uh, 
um, and teaching that if you take the prophetic teachings of Isaiah, which is 66 chapters, is pretty full of prophetic teaching. And if you take them at face value, as they're written, um, you would conclude that there is coming a time when the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the king, the king that Isaiah saw in chapter 6 sitting on his throne, lofty, high, exalted, is going to return to this earth and make all things new. There's a coming time of world blessing, of world peace, of world joy, the likes of which this world has never seen. If we take the prophetic teachings of Isaiah at face value, there's a new world coming. There's a new world coming. Isaiah has told us it's a world full of righteousness and justice. The nations will never war again, he said. They will hammer their, their swords into plowshares. They will hammer their, their spears into pruning hooks. And nations will never know war again. The nation of Israel, Isaiah says, is going to dwell securely in that land of promise. And they will worship God. And all the nations of the world will come and bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords on this earth in a literal way as Jesus will reign in Jerusalem. It's kind of what the angel told Mary. Was it not, you're going to bear a son? You're going to call his name Jesus? And he will sit on the throne of his father, David. There will be no end to his kingdom. And that comes right from Isaiah. God's the Messiah, the coming servant of the Lord. He's going to set up, it says in chapter 9, chapter 11, a government, and he will reign supreme. Chapter 9, verse 7, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. A coming time on this earth where God is going to put right all the wrongs and all the evil, rule this world with a like a rod of, with a rod of iron, he will, he will establish righteousness and justice and peace. Now, because of a principle that we know as progressive revelation, which means simply that God didn't dump the whole load of revelation on Moses or Abraham, God has progressively revealed truth as the Bible was being written throughout the centuries. Progressive Revelation says that when we come to that final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and like Revelation 20, and Jesus returns, chapter 19, and then he binds Satan for a thousand years as a precursor, as a prerequisite to chapter 21 in this coming glorious eternity, that chapter 20, that thousand-year binding of Satan, this is where the events of Isaiah, much of what Isaiah has prophesied, fits into that thousand-year reign. It's called the millennial kingdom. Progressive revelation shows us. Isaiah didn't talk about a thousand years. He talked about a coming reign of the king, of righteousness, shalom, of eternal joy. Progressive revelation helps us understand that's where it fits. 
Now, I believe that's exactly what Isaiah's teaching in these final chapters especially, kind of crescendos in excitement of this coming time when everything is going to be put right back on earth. And take your Bibles, join me again in Isaiah 65 as we pick up with the rest of that chapter. We looked at it, beginning of it last week. Isaiah chapter 65, starting in verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. I'm reading here from the New American Standard Version. It says, verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing, and her people for gladness. And I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, an old man who does not live out his days, for the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach that age of 100 shall be thought accursed. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and they shall not build and another inhabit, and they shall not plant, and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall the days of my people and my chosen ones shall wear out of the work of their hands. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord, the descendants with them, and it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf will, and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the servant's food. And they shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. That's some, just some brief observations. He says there in verse 17, I create a new heavens and a new earth, just like he said in verse 18, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing. I think there's this idea of, of, of I'm, I'm going to renew everything. Everything is going to change when Jesus Christ returns. Was this the idea that John picked up on in chapter 21? I create a new heavens and a new earth in, eternity, in the eternal state. I think there's phases of it coming. And again, the precursor, the first phase is when Jesus returns in all his glory. And it says, and all those former things are going to be forgotten. They'll not be remembered. If you back up to verse 16, the former troubles are forgotten, last part of verse 16, because they're hidden from my sight. He's going to make all things new. Second of all, there's going to be perpetual joy and gladness. It's going to dominate this millennial reign, this millennial kingdom. Those memories of trials and tribulations and sorrows are going to recede into the distant past. Thirdly, notice that longevity of life is going to be increased in this renewed, rejuvenated earth. It's a fascinating verse in verse 20. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days. No infant mortality. No one dies in old age or an old man who does not live out his days. In other words, death and sin, though not eliminated, are going to be greatly diminished. It does say, 
Last part of verse 20, youth will die at age of 100, and when they do, they'll be thought to be accursed. It seems to imply that though death will be very rare, when it does happen, it'll happen to those who are accursed, probably who will not desire to be under God's rule or reign. And the king of kings will deal with it swiftly and quickly. Verse 21 and 23 talks about experiences of peace and prosperity and productivity. They shall build houses and inhabit them and plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and no one is going to take it away from them. They're not going to build and someone else inhabit. They're not going to plant and someone else's eat. There's, there'll be no oppression, no enslavement, no war no conquering of people. And there's going to be unhindered attentiveness from God. He says, before they call, I'll answer them, verse 24. While they're still speaking, I hear. There's going to be this incredible communion and fellowship with Almighty God as He reigns on this earth supreme. And even the, the realm of nature <clears throat> is going to be completely transformed they shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, the wolf, the lamb grazing together, the lion and the ox. These are, are themes that we've seen throughout the book of Isaiah. He, he, he shares a little bit here, and then he moves on, shares a little bit again, and moves on, shares a little bit more. And now as we approach the very end of the book of Isaiah, he brings it back again. There is a new world coming. A wonderful time. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will experience it. Don Denhartog, our pastor of biblical education, I've mentioned this as later this summer, is going to be doing a six-week series um, uh, bringing to life some of these uh, prophetic scriptures that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse. So you don't, you're not going to want to miss that as he'll add some real flesh to some of these. But I'm, on the authority of the Scriptures, I can tell you that if you know Him as your Savior, what we've just read is something that's not happening today, <clears throat> obviously, but it's something that will happen someday soon. A new world is coming. And if you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone as your only way to heaven, you'll be there. You'll experience it. Perpetual, eternal good news is on its way. But as the apologist and theologian of a few decades ago, Francis Schaeffer, asked, so how should we then live? When all our good news gives way in this present world to the inevitable bad news, that seems to always come, and we find ourselves overwhelmed by the sinfulness of humanity, of the times of sorrows of a fallen world, how should we then live as we await the world of perpetual good news, living in a world of seemingly perpetual bad news? Let me mention just a couple of things by way of application this morning. First of all, we must never 
expect that our deepest longings and desires are going to be fully, fully satisfied in this world. Never expect that this world is going to satisfy the deep longings and desires of our souls. And when Isaiah talks about and reminds us that there's this new world coming, do you want to know why it'll be perpetual good news? John told us, and we read it earlier in Revelation chapter 21, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. You see, what makes this, this coming world such good news is that God himself is going to come and live and dwell among us. On this earth, Jesus Christ will reign supreme. And he will right every wrong. He will rule with righteousness and justice. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will be among us in a very real way, ruling supreme. Perpetual joy and good news is his presence among us. I love what the 17th century Scottish theologian, pastor, Presbyterian Samuel Rutherford once wrote, and it was actually a prayer. He prayed, Oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without you, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have you still, it'd be a heaven for me. For you are all the heaven I want. If I get to heaven and you're not there, it'll be hell. If I descend to hell but you're there, it'll be heaven. Because all I want is you. He will dwell among us. And it will be his presence that makes everything right and everything new. To be with God, someone said, to know him, to see him, is the central, irreducible draw of eternity. Him, Jesus. The psalmist said, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if we're trying to fill the inner longings and desires of our souls with things of this world, of the, of the of the things that we can amass, the prestige we may long for, the recognition, the freedom of pain, or whatever it might be. If we're longing for things and pursuing it in this realm, in this world, we're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed and left totally unfulfilled, totally disillusioned, and empty in every way. Because nothing in this world will fill the hole in our souls. We must never expect our deepest longings and desires to be satisfied by this life, this world. C.S. Lewis was right. The deep longings in our soul should call us to think there's something better. I've been made for something better. 
and one day that something better is going to come. And the skies are going to open, and Jesus Christ is going to return, and he's going to set up his throne on this earth. And the consummation of the ages, what God created perfect and labeled, it is very good, this world and all that he has created as perfect. Then sin ruined. He's going to bring it to its consummated end. He's going to make it all right again. He's just not going to let this world go on and on in a mess and finally say, all right, that's it, time's up, let's get to heaven, forget this earth. He is going to remake it, rejuvenate it, and he's going to come and he's going to reign over it. And when he does, this world is going to know perpetual peace and joy and the deep longings and, and desires of our heart are going to be fully satisfied because the king will reign on this earth. We were made for a better world, to be with a God of all eternity. And that better world is going to come one day. Do you know him as your personal savior? Will you be enjoying that better world? Here's the second thing I want to emphasize just by way of application. We can enjoy his presence now while we wait for his glorious coming and the new world he's going to bring. You see, today, we can live with this truth in our heart. I am his and he is mine. I have him now. He has me now. Right now, right here. Jesus said in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer, he said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is this quality of life that Jesus said, I came to offer anyone who simply believes in me. And it can be experienced now. And so the question is, do you know him now? Are you experiencing the quality of life that Jesus labels as eternal life? Now. Because the Bible teaches the moment we trust him as our Savior, he enters our life. The eternal God, the King of kings and Lord of lords enters us, transforms us, forever changed because of his presence within us. Do you know him? So that when the sorrows and the, and the sufferings of life hit us and wreak havoc in our lives, we have a perspective, we have an understanding how to, how to view this. I love what Larry Crabb in his book Shattered Dreams how he views it, how he, the wisdom that he brings to this whole idea of, of sorrows and sufferings in this present cursed world. He says, as nothing else can, suffering moves us away from demanding what's good toward desiring what's better until heaven provides what's best. We're living in a sorrowful world. Have you read the papers recently? or the stuff that's going on maybe in your own current life. Folks, we're made for something better. But if we trust Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, that something better can actually inhabit our life. And so instead of demanding what we want now, I want recognition. I want peace in my life. I want things to go better. <laughs> instead of demanding what's good, begin to desire what's better. Because one day, heaven is going to provide the best. Crab goes on and says this, We will not encounter Christ as our best friend 
as a source of all true goodness, as the one who provides the sweetest pleasures to our souls until we abandon ourselves to him. And full abandonment, real trust, rarely happens until we meet God in the midst of shattered dreams, until in our brokenness we see him, the only and overflowingly sufficient answer to our soul's deepest cry. C.S. Lewis, as he writes in Mere Christianity, he went on that search because he knew the things of this world were always disappointing. They never met that deep longing of a soul. There had to be something more because every, everything in this life never fully satisfied. It's incapable of satisfying. He had to come to the conclusion, I've been made for something more. And he found Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. How about you? In our shattered dreams, writes Crabb, in our brokenness, that's when we see him, the only overflowingly sufficient answer to our soul's deepest cry. It's never going to be found in the things of this world. It's never going to be found in fame and, and fortune and recognition. Because we live in a fallen world of sin. But there's a new world coming. And if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, that new world of eternal life begins the moment you've trusted him as your Savior. Now. So how should we then live? We live in the joy and the delight of his presence with us. Right now, today, we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of, of who he is. We orient our life around him, and we find in him the perfect satisfaction to all our longings. For if the psalmist is right, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so our marching orders are to know him and to make him known to a world that is trying to fill the hole in their souls in all sorts of ways but God. Yesterday, we, Lisa and I spent some time with our family, um, all four of our kids and all of our grandkids because it was one of those grandkids' seventh seven-year-old birthday. And so we had a fun time, beautiful day, and just being together as a, as a family. You know what I long for? If you're a grandparent, I think you can say this too. I long for the day that my grandchildren don't have to grow up in, a, in an evil world. I looked at those little kids playing and my heart aches. I want them to be in a world where cruelty is over, where there's no more oppression, where war is gone, where joy, righteousness reigns. I long for that. Guess what? That day is coming. That day is coming. When the King Jesus is going to return and Satan is going to be bound 
And for a thousand years on this earth, Jesus is going to make it all right. And then that's just the precursor. He's going to open the door to all of eternity, Revelation 21. And there will no longer be any death or sorrow or crying or suffering. Do you know him as your Savior? You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Narrow-minded? Yes. Free? Absolutely. Jesus died on the cross and he paid for our sins and he offers the free gift of eternal life. So that all our longings and all our deep desires and the whole in our souls can be met today. Today. For Jesus said, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. The moment of faith. Will you trust Jesus Christ today? If you've not done that, I invite you to transfer your trust on how you're going to have eternity Transfer your trust off of your good works, off of all of your attempts, off of religion. Transfer it all off that stuff. Put it on Christ and Christ alone who died for you and rose again and offers you eternal life now and in the new world that's coming. Let's pray. Our Father... <clears throat> Thank you for your word. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can, can give us wisdom and direct us and then stir in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that um, we can leave here today with the absolute assurance that you have a plan for the ages. And even as this very tick of the clock continues. You are fulfilling that plan. But thank you for Jesus. The central point of all that plan was to come and to bear our sins and give us hope and give us eternal life by simply trusting him as the only way to heaven. And one day, Father, we thank you so much that he's going to return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whether we're already up there and will return with him or we are on this earth and we're going to be snatched away and wait and then see this glorious kingdom come. Lord, even so, Lord Jesus, come and set up your rule on this earth. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.